Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to start by kind of apologizing uh, for it being so long without a new episode. I'll just say this. If you only knew how annoying and terrible my late March was, my early April was, You'd understand. There's just been a lot of nonsense. Anyway, before we start the show today, uh, I just want to say that in light of recent events um, and sort of the entire culmination of the year that we've just had, um, Strangers in China is going to do a big episode on racism against Asians in the United States. If you remember about a year ago, actually, um, strangers addressed this topic just a little bit in our epilogue episode of season one about the pandemic. Uh, if you want to go back, you can listen to that right now. But one of our producers, Shun Yao, and I have been working on gathering stories like this over this past year. And we kind of always planned on doing a big piece about this. I just want to let you know that I'm not forgetting about this. We're going to do a big, important piece about it. Besides that, um, I just want to let you all know that May is actually Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. And Strangers wants to help support AAPI people. So starting now, any new subscribers to our Patreon... Your first month of pledges will go to Asian Americans Advancing Justice. It's a nonprofit helping to advance equal protections for AAPI people, and it's been helping to stand against racism in Asian American communities. After May, uh, all of your Patreon support will go towards us here at Strangers in China. Me and some of the other producers here really put in a ton of work to bring these episodes to you. So if you want to right now, go to patreon.com forward slash strangers in China and you can help support AAPI people in the month of May and then you can go on to support our show. Strangers in China has launched a website strangersinchina.com and we have merch. You can now go get yourself a strangers t-shirt or mug for yourself or that special stranger in your life and that will also help support the show a lot. Anyway, let's get on with the show. So last month, actually, I got a question from a Patreon supporter, Caesar Vergara, and he wanted to know, what's the rap game like here in China? 
And it just so happens that Strangers in China producer Alec, he brought me the scoop on rap over this past winter. Hey, Alec, are you there? Uh, where are you right now? Hey, Clay. Uh, yeah, I'm in Beijing. All right. Um, what's uh, what's going on up there in Beijing? How, how are you feeling right now? Beijing's all right. I mean, you know, I'm from the northeast of the U.S., so the the weather here is pretty familiar. But it's it's definitely it's it's picking up. It's getting a little chilly. No, dude. Beijing is a different kind of winter. Beijing is that real dry cold, and that pollutiony cold, dry mixture that's just uh, just pure hell. It's it's something special. I'm uh it's the first year that I've started packing chapstick with me wherever I go, so uh you know it's it's that time, yeah. What do you have for me today? Alright, so every year more than five thousand members of China's government from all across the country, they all come to Beijing for this ten day legislative conference and work report delivery in what's known as the two sessions or Hui in Chinese. Uh, it's basically kind of like a mix between the State of the Union in the U.S. and this big rubber stamping session for all this legislature that everyone knows is going to pass. Um, the speakers get to reaffirm the goals of, of the country and the party, blah, blah, blah. Where, where is this going? Hear me out. So uh, in March of 2019, which probably seems like a lifetime ago for everyone who's listening, um, this Chinese news agency released a promotional video to coincide with the beginning of the two sessions. Let me imagine what this video is going to look like. I'm imagining lots of red. There's a bunch of school children and they're maybe dancing and waving in unison. And the whole spectacle is like kind of tacky and garish. But there's like not even one little iota twinkle of irony in any of it. It's all very, very sincere. Is that what we're talking about here? Well, normally I'd say yes, that's right on point. But in this case, not exactly. Um, let me just play you a clip. What am I seeing here right now? What you're seeing is like various snapshots of Chinese technologies and innovation, you know, whether that's a whole bunch of fields full of wheat or a bunch of uh, robots and space rockets taking off. To me, it's, it's just basically your standard propaganda video in a lot of ways. It is. Uh, obviously, what's different about this is it's a rap song. What are what are your what's your favorite line from this uh, this song? I mean, the hook is pretty great. It's we've got two sessions. What what we've got two sessions for the fragrance we're blessing to the world. We show our affection. See, we've got two sessions. Let me show you Chinese manners. Tramp the bygone session. We're the fortitude presence. What a bizarre way to promote the two sessions. Yeah, and this brings me to what we're going to talk about today. I don't actually want to talk about this song as representative of rap in China. Uh, but what I do want to talk about is what rap, what hip hop actually looks like in this country of 1.4 billion people. I mean, to be honest, I'm not sure why the Communist Youth League of China would choose something like rap to promote 
the two sessions. But what I do want to look into is how the cultural mechanisms in China and the culture as a whole have shifted to accept and even adopt something that at its core is really subversive in nature, like rap. All right, cool. Where do we get started? Rap or hip hop has always been in China. So this is Rita. Among other things, she's a writer, translator, and journalist based in Beijing who covers music and, in particular, rap. She walked me through rap's history in China. Basically, all of the Western music were introduced into China by Daco、mm-hmm. in the eighties. Much the most important method of how the musicians or people got to listen to Western music in the eighties or in the nineties. So, Alec, what what is this Daco that she's talking about? Okay, so the idea behind Daco is basically these surplus cassettes or CDs were being shipped to China as essentially garbage, and when they came through customs, they'd be clipped with you know pliers or shears or whatever, in the hopes that they wouldn't be resold because they'd theoretically be unusable and unlistenable, and in most cases that was true. However,、uh, you know, just because of the sheer volume of garbage that we throw out every year,、uh, a bunch of music actually got through, and it was sort of salvaged and given out, or distributed, or resold in some way. And that's how a lot of people were getting their records and their music from overseas. You know, whether that's rock or rap or or anything else. So basically, you're getting like a bunch of random ass records, like the ones that the salvagers could salvage. Is that correct? Kind of, yeah. You know, it really just depended what was in the box that day. Some people would actually buy whole boxes of these things and hopefully find one or two of them that actually worked. A lot of people in China who are really passionate about all different kinds of music, they really credit their peaked interest to these Daco CDs and their experience scrounging through and just finding this world of music that they wouldn't have otherwise known. Um, like there were three, I think, yeah, three pop singers.、Uh, they actually dropped an album with literally rap on the cover of their album. It's called Zhongguo Rap or whatever rap, and it, but it was more like I think the tracks were more like disco, but also rap. Like they were just speaking their lyrics. So people weren't rapping yet. But the first sort of rap you see come out of China is more like speaking singing, rather than what we think of as rap and having substance. Another place that rap was coming up was in the comedy skits during the Chinese New Year Gala. In、uh, Xiaopian, you know the com- com- comedian skit, the actors and actresses actually mentioned and even used. Rap, yeah. So、uh, apparently, some Chinese musicians got to listen to this kind of music, have known it exists, and also maybe its popularity. So early '90s, people were like dipping their toe in the pool with rap. But like, when did hip hop culture really take off? Yeah. So pre 
the rap that we think of doesn't really match up with what was happening in China. Um, however, in 2003, that all changed. In 2003, the Beijing-based rap group Insang dropped their first album called "Serve the People," and that was recognized. It, it won critical acclaim outside of the country as well as inside China. At the 2003 China National Radio Music Awards, they won Best New Group. I think there are two things, at least two things that Insang did. Were so influential to to Chinese rappers. So one、uh, was their music. So their album after their album dropped,、uh, of course, a lot more people got to listen to this type of music, like how they use their words, and that was, of course, new to a lot of Chinese people. And it definitely inspired a lot of young people back then. You know, just to create to express themselves. And also, they were holding like hip hop parties in Beijing, like every month. So not only rappers, there were like dancers,、uh, DJs. So that was actually、uh, something really important to,、uh, you know, to build up this culture to、uh, create this environment for the culture. Okay, so like in the early '90s, you have people talking over a beat, kind of like Debbie Harry in Rapture. Then you've got the rap group Yin Tang blowing up and sort of shaping what rap is really going to become in China. Not just from a musical perspective, but from like the culture perspective as well. Yeah, definitely.、Uh, that said, rap's growth as a genre was not really so linear. It was pretty sporadic. There were individual rappers and crews establishing themselves in places like Shanghai and Taiwan and Hong Kong. These parts of China where import culture was really able to thrive. And people were able to put their own spin on what they were hearing and what they were making outside of Beijing. Someone else I spoke to was 22K, the founder of Zhong TV in Shanghai back in 2005. 22K was promoting Chinese rap and rap artists outside of China. Even though there wasn't much happening commercially for rap, 22K was the first guy to really start making these music videos and promoting these artists in ways that hadn't been done before. This was his experience back in those underground days. Yeah, it was really underground. It's more like a club scene back then. So they would have like club nights.、Uh, there was a place called Guandi in Shanghai, which is in the park. But in terms of rap content, it was pretty much just Beijing and, and Shanghai. It was not commercial. It wasn't. It, was some, it wasn't something that was feasible in terms of.、Um, Sustaining like a lifestyle. Most of the MCs that I knew, they were just getting by by hosting clubs and and doing club nights. You know, 
So the general vibe was more like the clubs, the promoters was using hip hop as a selling tool just to get heads in the club. But in terms of the industry, there wasn't much, there wasn't much at all. You know, it was really, really underground. He was hustling to build this community and he was doing it all by word of mouth. There was only a handful of rappers that really, you know, took it serious and uh, really, um, you know, started to work on their craft. But it was more like a hobby. Like it felt like to me more like a hobby. And nobody really thought they could even really make any money. Because at that time, there was no example. Like there was no one that really could eat off the culture, you know. So it was a different mindset, I feel. Even though there was no money in it, there were these cool underground competitions where people could come and just freestyle. You know, they they showed what they had. They honed their craft. Uh, they made connections with people. And they had this really underground, authentic rap feel. So in the aughts in the 2010s, uh, rap basically kind of grew out of sort of Beijing and Shanghai, like the two big cultural hubs in China. Uh, actually, a huge part of China's hip hop culture was developing outside of Beijing and Shanghai. And there was definitely this local feel to it. Actually, have you heard of this group called the Higher Brothers? Oh, fuck yeah. The Higher Brothers are sick. That, that, that. Made in China. Go watch Made in China. We play ping pong ball. Made in China. Get bitch metal says ping. Made in China. Get Higher Brother Black Car. Made in China. She said that she didn't like me. She said that she didn't like me. She said that she didn't like me. She lied. She lied. She all made it in China. She all made it in China. Right. Sounds like you've heard of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's them. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, well, the Higher Brothers are actually based out of Chengdu, and they really started to put rapping with this local flavor on the map. Someone had introduced me to the Higher Brothers, who this was maybe in 2016, and they kind of fascinated me because they were getting at least a little bit of attention abroad, which is not something you usually see from Chinese artists, right? China has this soft power problem with its pop cultural product. And they seem very original and cool and self-confident. Oh my God, Lauren. That's Lauren. I love Lauren. She's my friend. Yeah, that's Lauren. Uh, She's a reporter who was based in Chengdu back in 2016 and actually met the Higher Brothers just as they had signed with a US-based label, 88 Rising. I asked her about the rap scene in Chengdu and what it was like, especially compared to the rest of the country at the time. Beijing has always been at the forefront of underground music, uh, mostly because, as far as I can tell, it's like basically rich kids who um, kind of had the latitude to pursue their own stuff because, you know, if you have Beijing hukou, you can basically do whatever you want. Chengdu is... Uh, so one thing that's interesting is they're not all rich kids, right? So the higher brothers are all from working class families. Uh, and it's very, very strongly regional in that they use uh, Sichuan dialect. Sure. Right? So if it was in Beijing, you know, a lot of Putonghua. Um, not really Beijing dialect as far as I know. What makes the higher brothers just like so fucking cool? Tell me about that. So when you hear the higher brothers, you hear that they sound cool and it's catchy and they're actually doing something that's different uh, even if you don't understand Chinese if you do speak Chinese though 
they have this added thing. I mean, they they put Chengdu on the map in rap because they actually rapped in their local dialect in their their Chengdu local language,、um, and it added this sense of pride. You know, they obviously were proud of where they were from, a sense of、uh, local flavor. But it also meant that people from Chengdu could identify with what they were saying, and Chengduhua, the the Chengdu dialect, is one of the most well known ones in the country. People, whether they want to speak it or want to make fun of it, they know it. So hearing something like this is really, it's it's something that hadn't been done before. It's something that's different, and so this specificity really helped them in the Chinese rap scene. Locally,、uh, but also started getting them recognized internationally as something new and different. It was cool to see like a very、uh, strong scene with like a strong sense of regional and musical identity,、um, which is something. That is, you know, I think special, and it was also interesting for me to see these kids who had basically said, you know, fuck it to their parents' expectations and decided to make no money and pursue a career in music uh, uh, rather than, you know, get an office job and get married by the age of twenty-seven. Chengdu also became known in particular as the hub of Chinese trap music. Uh, maybe since it was so far, over a thousand miles from Beijing. You know, at the time, like there was a sense of like Chengdu is where there's trap, or Chengdu and Chongqing is where you do trap music, as opposed to you、sure. know, quote unquote, old school hip hop, which is arguably kind of a simplistic、uh, binary. But Beijing、mm-hmm. was, you know, kind of where quote unquote old school, and by old school they mean like the '90s. Like the '90s are still alive and well in Beijing. Yeah, and so there was kind of an embrace of trap music,、um, which was, you know, in 2017 was like the cutting edge of hip hop.、Um, And so, yeah, you're seeing a lot of people in this style、um, doing kind of creative things. You know, people seem to be proud of what was happening there, and how there are all these like really young people who like idolized higher and like their colleagues,、um, and kind of they had a it gave them a vision of a life other than like the narrative set out for them. And that was cool to see, like this kind of regional self confidence. And flourishing. Yeah, their their style is so different.、Um, it's sort of like the rap game in America, where like you had like East Coast and West Coast, but then you had like then you had like Atlanta rap and like Outkast doing something completely weird and different. Is that sort of what it's like, right?、Um, or Three Six Mafia? I just personally love Three Six Mafia so much, so I just wanna shout out. Yeah, shout out to Triple Six. Okay, so I have to say, the picture of rap that you've described so far doesn't really jive with my perception of rap in China, or even jive with my sense of like how. Chinese culture and the cultural machine works. Rap, from what I can see, is super popular. It's not like some underground thing. That said, like Higher Brothers, I realize is like this paragon 
of like Chinese cool real rap. But like that's actually not what my sense of rap is like more broadly as a casual observer. When I'm in a cab or a convenience store in Shanghai, like I'll hear like quote unquote rap on the radio. And it's usually like there's some pop song that sounds like this. So, right, you've got, like, the singer singing, and then rap is, like, this interlude that you hear within the pop song. But I get the sense that when we talk about rap blowing up in China, this is not the stuff that the kids are excited about. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. That's how a lot of rap existed and continues to exist, whether you're talking about China or the U.S. or other countries. Uh, But there's also this subculture that has millions of fans of this rap that actually sounds like legit rap. You're not going to hear these songs on the radio, at least not anymore. Um, But let's talk about how rap exploded in China. We got to talk about the show. Yeah, but after the show, of course, um, they just exploded a market for young people because mm-hmm. there's music and also there's fashion. So back in 2017, Aichi, this video streaming and hosting company, they put together this show called The Rap of China. Basically, there's this panel of judges and these people who want to be rap stars get up and perform and they're they're judged on their performances. So basically, it's like an American Idol, but like with Chinese rappers. Pretty much. And think of American Idol scale, but just about rap. Wow. So like this is like a huge show. Yeah, huge. I mean, we're talking nine times the viewership that American Idol got in its heyday. But remember, this is a show just about rap. I mean, this is really what catapulted it into mainstream Like, what, what kind of rappers are on the show? So what's interesting is that there's this mix of sort of old school rappers that are trying to get out there and put their name out there and actually be recognized for what they've been working on underground for the last 5, 10, 20 years, as well as this new wave of younger people who kind of just know rap as a way to talk fast over a beat, and they see that there's maybe this potential to make money. The rap of China really put hip-hop in, in, in the minds of the youth, right? But in terms of what direction it's going to go, like, who knows? So, like, why did Rap of China get so popular? I don't, I don't quite understand why Rap of China was, like, this big tipping point. Part of it was that platform like that, it's not a platform to explore rap or hip-hop as it, you know, rap, rap or hip-hop and what it really is. So you're kind of left with the superficial understanding, and that's what drew people with the, the swagger and the attitude and the chains and the, the cool clothes. Gotcha. So there's, like... This want and need for hip hop, not just as an art form, but as like a style. 
Yeah, and selling that style, uh, becoming that image was a huge part of the show. And because this was like such a huge show, it kind of defined who became the king of hip hop. A rapper's success became inextricably tied to the rap of China. This is Bohan Phoenix, a rapper who we'll talk to more later. A lot of his peers went on the show and saw this crazy meteoric success that came with it. In China, in today's world, if you want successful fast and immediately, going on the show is a no-brainer. And this created not just overnight success for rappers, but also dreams of similar overnight success for viewers too. People who wanted to make it fast. But for a lot of them, like they got into it fast through artists that blew up fast so they don't understand so all they see is the success they don't see the years of work and the prep and the and the not music development but like person development and character development that goes into making a, a song that doesn't sound like everybody else's regurgitated shit and this inevitably led to people going on the show and making it big as rappers who may not have had any real sense of what rap and the rap world was actually about. I question the intention of um, all the kids to, that, that want to be rappers. Obviously, it's, it's a different time when you have social media and everybody probably wants to be like a Wang Hong, right? They want to yeah. be famous, right? So what is, what is 22K really saying here? Right, so he's alluding to this kind of inauthentic quality that the show has, you know, by the nature of it, by the design of it, it's a bunch of people who are using rap to get famous, to get in front of the camera. You know, they're just co-opting the style of hip hop as they see it. And, and it really creates this issue of what are they doing with it? It's taking away a lot of meaning from what hip hop is as a phenomenon in a way, right? Kind of. I think I think that it's hard to make multiple seasons of a show if it's just the people doing like the same thing every time. But they they establish this mission of establishing like finding the Chinese rap. You know, it's this fake thing that they can say they're striving towards. I don't think that was the conclusion that was drawn at the end of the first season, but it was you know, it wasn't like we found the Chinese rap, but it was we found the Chinese rapper or rappers. So I think it does add some some like weird skeleton of uh, a narrative that they can say they're pushing for. So like trying to find its own kind of flavor. Yeah. They wanted to make this thing that China could claim as Chinese rap at the same time in the back of their mind is what is appropriate and what is allowed uh, to, to appear on Chinese TV. It's like very much in the interest of those in power to like construct a cohesive, you know, quote unquote Chinese style or sound right that's part of the nationalistic project and you know that for example if you look at season two of rap of china chris wu is really pushing the feng of there being you know a chinese sound right uh, there being such a thing as like a, a monolithic chinese sound um, which may or may not exist but it's certainly politically expedient to have one and if you look at kind of the jungle phone he was pushing, it was like totally disnified version of what quote unquote China is. Um, so there's kind of this pressure from the top to like create these kind of, you know, Chinesey style rap. Is there such a thing as immutable Chinese 
style or like is there a Chinese essence that permeates everything made in China? And I think no, but um, or I think probably no, but it's certainly in the government's interest to create one. Right. So what to Lauren says here. Um, so there's like this cultural machine in China, right? And it's much more like top down than bottoms up. Like that's the way that this machine works. And that's why I asked earlier, how did hip hop get so big for something to be as popular as hip hop is now in China? You need a public who's interested, but you also need the approval of the government. And like, as to what she's saying here, right? Like the way a subversive subculture can be folded into like the accepted mass culture is by kind of like promoting a pro-China or pro-party message and compromising on some of the sort of like thornier aspects of that medium or that art form, right? Right, but with a show of this scale, that means that the narrative is out of the hands of the people making it. And maybe that's why popular rap was kind of always doomed. Rap at its core is subversive, right? Like even if you strip away the bad words or the misogyny, in its form, it kind of like undermines pop music. And in its narrative, it's specifically a truth-telling art form. So how does that bump up against the tightening strictures of what's allowed here in China? Well, your instincts are pretty spot on. The rap of China was quite popular for a while, but in early 2018, the State Administration of Press Publications, Radio, Film, and Television. Ah, yes. The the Saperfurt. <laughs> the good old Saperfurt. Yeah, <laughs> the ones that basically control everything that people hear and see on radio, film, and television. They banned anything seen as depicting subcultures. Which, of course, include hip-hop from appearing on television, meaning that rappers themselves weren't going to be promoted on television any longer. So so, so just to be clear, like, rap's just, like, completely gone, like, in, in all Chinese media? Well, not exactly. So you can still find rap online, including rap of China. You can find it streaming. You can find rap music by Chinese artists online. But there's still sort of the feeling of waiting for the other shoe to drop. You never know when... Your stuff is just going to disappear and rap is going to be wiped from mainstream culture. This ban on rap was seen by many as the result of the two show's finalists being involved in quote-unquote immoral behavior. They were using lyrics that supposedly were talking about drug use and violence, things that really aren't so uncommon in rap in the U.S. where they were kind of taking their lead from. Rappers or hip-hop or rap music, whatever, just exploded after the season one of Rap of China in 2017. And uh, the co-champions of the first season were PG-1 and the guy from Chongqing. This is what PG-1 sounds like. And this is what Guy sounds like. 
the PG one, there was just some scandal of him popped up、mm-hmm. at beginning of 2018, and then the authority carried out this so-called hip hop ban、uh, in China. So basically, rappers and hip hop musicians were just banned from Chinese televisions. What exactly happened with PG One and Guy? So one of them, PG One, was caught having an affair with a married actress, and he also got in trouble for lewd lyrics. After which he apologized and claimed he made the mistake because of deep influence of black music. So I have a quote. His his original quote, like when this was all happening, is I was deeply influenced by African American music when I first got into hip hop culture, and I didn't understand the core values properly. I sincerely apologize. Ooh, okay. Well, that's really ugly, and there's a lot to unpack there.、Uh, so obviously, there's racism here, but also he's somehow disassociating rap from black culture as if they were two different things. Hip hop is part of black culture, so for me, this obviously like exposes a racist element here. But also, there's just this deep lack of understanding of the art form that PG One claims to perform. Yeah, this was wrong. I do want to look at what he did in the context a little bit more. So, for PG One, he found this as an easy out by specifically tying his mistakes to "quote unquote" black music. He and I'm sure his team of PR people. Thought that this was an appropriate solution, and by doing this, he would dodge the brunt of the ban. I mean, for me, I'm kind of interested. Like, what does this say about society and the acceptable views as a whole in China? You know, the people who are actually reading this and deciding whether or not this is going to be, you know, something that they can forgive him for.、Uh, after this, PG One actually dropped off the map for a while.、Uh, he kind of disappeared, and only recently. Started to attempt to come back in different places and with varying degrees of success.、Uh, back then, Guy actually went another route and kind of just dove headfirst into proclaiming his nationalism and love for China through a series of what you could call red releases. You know, red for communism and China.、Um, both of these artists tried to hold on to rap in very different and I think pretty revealing ways. All right, yeah, I think it's important to put it in context. I just think it's like so hard as an American listener and as like a hip hop fan to think that that was an acceptable way to get yourself out of hot water. It just makes me feel like hip hop in China just is sort of this appropriative thing. To be fair, though, like especially if we're looking at it through this very narrow lens of like the rap of China and its winners, it also feels like to me you can't lay the blame for the hip hop ban on PG One and Guy. It feels like to me like the censors were kind of looking for an excuse to ban hip hop, and like these two were just kind of convenient scapegoats. Yeah, I mean the entire hip hop ban is definitely suspect. I mean, in the sense that it kind of reeks of, if not racism, you know, I think you can make the argument that it's there.、Um, but there's definitely something in terms of targeting P 
people and cultures who are already on the margins, you know, whether that's hip hop, um, whether that's black culture um, or things unrelated, things like local subculture. But also to broaden the context again, this ban on rap was also part of a ban on many other types of foreign influences in China, especially in pop culture. It was just quick, like overnight. If I don't remember wrong, like a lot of rap songs were taken out of the music streaming platforms. And in practice, such a ban encompassed everything from prohibiting men from wearing too much makeup or earrings to showing tattoos on TV. And it also kind of in one fell swoop immediately associated rap with immorality and destructiveness. Rap was labeled as morally misaligned with the Chinese Communist Party. Essentially, what was left for approved consumption was that shell of rap that we talked about before, the talk singing. Um, yeah, so this is, I guess, like the central tension in anything in Chinese culture is like anything, any type of culture can exist insofar as the authorities don't notice it, right? But if it's that underground, then it's not making any money. Uh, and so once it comes into, you know, widespread public attention, it's going to be regulated. And what happened with the rap of China is that it was like a huge breakout hit, um, which was great for people who had been doing hip hop in China for years because, you know, you know, finally all these young people were interested in it. But at the same time, of course, the authorities are liable to see anything that has this much, you know, attracts this much passion and attention from youth as a potentially negative and subversive force. And so it must be regulated. That's all very depressing. I'm partially bummed out because, like, it seems like rap of China brought rap into the spotlight and it flew too close to the sun, which is like a huge bummer because it seems like there are some legitimately cool rappers out there and like rappers on the show. But I'm also kind of bummed out by like maybe what this scandal suggests, maybe what PG1's words suggest that this scandal kind of exposes a sort of rotten core of the rap of China. That it's like a lot of rich kids misusing and appropriating rap culture and black culture for clout without any like deeper understanding of like where the music is coming from. That all said, I think that there's more to rap in China than this. And Alec, I just want you to bring me back to a hopeful place. So, look, it may be the end of rap's super hot, meteoric rise that it experienced before, but the fact that it's been relegated back to its status as a subculture, I mean, that means that in a lot of ways, the narrative is back in the hands of the people that are actually making the music. You know, there might be more hope for getting real rap in the future. There are rappers who are doing lots of cool stuff because now they can, and fewer people particularly the people who could shut them down, are paying attention to them. Are there artists out there right now that are like making you feel more hopeful about rap? So in addition to the higher brothers, there are people like Lexi Liu. You have someone like Baba. 
There's Johnny J, who's been around for a while. And there are groups of rappers like Let's keep in mind, you know, rap hasn't been in China for that long, and certainly hasn't been developing on any kind of scale for that long. So this may just be part of a bigger transition in the rap space here anyway. Did you get to, like, talk to a rapper? Chinese no need to remind me A little bit different, don't mind me Head of my time, just a line right behind me Shit, get it, jala, 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 jala I heard that, that you like Malasyangua, you like hot, dry pot? Uh, I like lotus, gotta have lotus I like I like the bok choy. I like the bok choy. I like okay. all the veggies. The veggies soak up a lot of the flavors, you know. They do. Flavors. They get they get super saturated and greasy yeah. and spicy. Yeah, exactly. So this is Bohan Phoenix, and I didn't talk to him just about his love of dry pot. So he's a rapper who's living in New York, and he's been in the game for the last couple decades, really working on finding what rap means to him and drilling down on authentic rap. You know, as we know it. Now, his story is a little different from most rappers in China because he lives in the States, but he's been part of this wave and he has a pretty unique perspective. Unlike a lot of his peers, he didn't shoot to the top through this TV contest show. He actually put in the time and is what we think of when we think of grinding for his passion. At the end of it, he blew up in China. He went on tour, and he's been rapping in Chinese and English for many thousands, even millions of fans for a while now. Bohan was born in Hubei province in China, and he first heard music that really spoke to him when he found these cassettes of the Taiwanese singer Jay Chow at his local convenience store. It made sense uh, that his stuff sounded like the way it did when I heard it back in 2002, which was these rapping stuff in Chinese that I, at the time I didn't know it was rapping. I just thought it was like, you know, really weird stuff. But it was definitely interesting to listen to uh, in the landscape of like all the old Chinese ballads that I was uh, used to hearing growing up. When Bohan turned 11, he actually moved to the States, and that's where his love of rap grew. So I was just prepping to go into a middle school in the States. And once I got to the States, it was really so, so much about fitting in. You know, going from like a pretty rural place to Newton, Massachusetts. Uh, so you remember when the movie Eight Mile came out? Uh, yeah, and that is the moment when I knew I was going to grow up to become a rapper. All right. Well, yo, look, <laughs> look, 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 I still got time. I just say this. I'm convinced that that is the movie that launched an entire generation of failed rap careers. <laughs> Not everyone who loved that movie was a, a rap failure. When I came across Eight Mile, I was you know, barely speaking English uh, fluently, conversationally. But I do remember gravitating towards just the style, just the cool, and just the kind of the story of this guy being a outcast. This guy is a white guy doing a black 
art form and, and succeeding in it after, you know, um, a lot of obstacles and finding confidence. And I was like, that's cool. If I can do, if I could do something like this and like feel cool about it and, you know, get some confidence and make some friends that way. Rap music and rapping were really important to Bohan. He had a lot of anxiety at school, felt like an outsider, but not in small part because of his race and where he was from, as well as the fact that he was still learning English. You know, kids in school can be pretty shitty and racist. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I remember distinctly was just, you know, dealing with girls and dealing with this teenage uh, period as a Chinese boy growing up in America, like, you know, the amount of jokes you hear about being Chinese you know, or skies, you know, small dicks, like eat dogs, good at math. I wasn't good at math. Like, you know, like, oh, like there's so many things that like, you know, you just hear and you don't feel confident. And, and New North High School, the high school I went to, you know, it was designed so that there was a main hallway called Main Street. But that's where all the kids hung out. And I was so self-conscious that I couldn't walk through from north to south. You know, if I had a class on the north end and I had a class on the south end, I would have to leave to leave school on the north end and walk around the school on the outside because I was so self-conscious about what if I walked down the street, the, the main street, like uh, what if what people think at me like I'm walking by myself like I'd buy the lunch and I go sit and like I will find an empty classroom and sit and just watch YouTube videos and eat by myself even though he felt this way he also felt like he needed to be seen I wanted the chance to perform I was like all right what is the closest thing I can get to performing you know in high school and I was like all right there's these choirs and I went to audition for a gospel choir and shout and read Mr. Reed I remember him telling me like, yeah, you, you know, you're not really great of a singer, but I'll let you be tenor. I'll let you play a tenor if you agree to write some raps about God, about love. And we ended up just uh, putting together uh, these rap songs. And the the band, the the gospel choir, had a live band, so it was they were backing it up. And here I am on stage, like in front of people that I was scared to really walk in front of. But I'm on stage with the long hair in some fucking in a tie and suit, you know, for the gospel choir, and I'm rapping. 2008 was when I got enough caddy, money from caddying uh, at a local golf course to go and actually uh, lay down some records with my friend uh, Faisal. He's this kid from South Africa, and we had called, he went by Faisal Faze and i went by raw data and our, us, us together we were hip hop agenda and we, yeah <laughs> that was 2008 you know that was my first year in the gospel choir like i, I remember like um recording that year um our first song as well after he went to college he really decided to go all in on this rap thing and he actually hit on some early success and ended up booking a tour back in china and it was interesting timing you know, when he came back to China to go on tour, he was kind of making and kind of riding the wave of this initial success and excitement that was being generated in popular culture and mainstream media, especially surrounding the show, The Rap of China. Yeah, so at that time, uh, going back to China was super lucrative. I mean, with The Rap of China blowing up, I had already put in two years of touring work before Rapid China blew up. So when Rapid China blew up, I had already done 
uh, an 18 city China tour myself, connected with all the promoters myself. So when Rapper China blew up, like I already knew everybody in China that was doing rap. And for the first time, bro, like I'm telling you, just really honestly, I went from I went from you know doing sketchy stuff for money in New York for years and not still having like. You know, any money in my pocket. So all of a sudden, having money in my pocket, you know, and then now I'm like, oh, this is what Jala did? Let me just keep doing this. Let me just run up the money, get the club gigs. So Bohan got this huge taste of fame, and all of a sudden, he had all these fans. He had some fans that just knew him from his big song, Jala. So the, in, in China, there's the, the 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 fans that really gravitated towards me were two types. One was the ones that found me through Higher Brothers, that found me through Jala, and you know, it's really with the hype, uh, trendy, turn up stuff. You know, they go to one of my shows and before me even done with my first song, they're like yelling Jala, Jala, you know, like so. It's that type of fans. The thing that kept him going was that he had a lot of fans that really just loved what he was doing. And then there's a type of fans that pay attention to the interviews, that watch the documentaries. And those are the fans he sees so much potential in, not just as fans of his, but as kind of this culture to carry on the torch of rap, to actually really do something, to understand the music and push the music forward. You know, and they understand what I'm about, or, you know, they, they really... You know, they really fuck with my energy, you know. And these are the people that kind of have been inspiring me to keep going back to China and keep um, interacting with the fans and the scenes there because the potential for a lot of real, from the heart, from the soul, from original stuff have yet to come out of China because this is the first time that kids and teenagers are being taught to be you, express you, do individual, be an individual, talk about your feelings, talk about who you are, you know? And so, you know, for the, for the first few years so far, a lot of it is following trend, a lot of it is following whatever is blowing up on the TV show, you know? Um, but as it continues, as the trend dies out, there's going to be a lot of these kids that uh, you know, are into the songs like Three Days in Chindu, and they're going to put out some stuff that's going to be really amazing. Attend to a journey to money, working with higher to show me. Eating and eating and eating then. You win, how much you're eating then? People don't need me, you're dancing. Get watching what money find you. This is that world where that love, that bone, huh? My sweet dizzy, side be ho. It's a girl, that's a girl, that's a girl. What matter what time that had you got? What's your time that had you got? Even though he'd found success, there's a lot of burden that comes with that, especially if you're someone who's stuck between two countries and two very different hip-hop environments, and who's cognizant of that too. Being out in China, touring and making money has made him reconsider things. And I'm making money for the first time. I'm 25, 26 years old. I'm making money for the first time. And I am super unhappy. I want the finer things, but without the more essential, more um, essential stuff in life, like the good relationships, like relationships with your friends and family and, and, what, and so what. Like I realize as I'm making money for the first time in my life that 
these making money doesn't make me quite as happy as I thought it would. Blowing up and being in this whirlwind that was essentially the wake of the rap of China was pretty mentally and emotionally taxing for him. The transition, then the reflection of like, okay, so instead of exoticizing myself out here and trying to and trying to do me in like、uh, a music environment of China that is really idol driven instead of story driven and like artistry driven. I realized, yeah, you know, I think this was a good experience to come out here to China、um, and be out here for the two, three years that I was there, and kind of understand that my goal isn't really to come out here and impress everybody. It's still to return to the original goal, which is making music that that I'm really proud of. So. Yeah. So, what does he think about the state of rap in in China? Like Twenty Two K and Vita, he's kind of skeptical. Well, so what he talks about is at the heart of hip hop in China, there's this frailty. You know, besides a handful of artists who they're really good on social media, they're good at marketing themselves and their brand. The only way that rappers can really make it is through the show Rap of China. In today's world, if you want Successful, fast, and immediately going on the show is a no-brainer. Yeah, so a lot of the kids that I know,、um, yeah, that if they don't go to Rap of China, then they don't really have another way of uh, uh, getting their music out there. You know, they they don't they don't understand. They don't really want to put in like what four, five, six years of the work that I did going to open mics and fucking grinding out like a hundred views, two hundred views by you know blasting people with it on social media. So they go to the show, and it's it's really something that they think that they need. You know, they think that the only way to go about it is to get some dreads, get some chains, get some jewelries, dye their hair, wear the babes, wear the whatevers, and look the way they look. Because again, this is to them, this is how they grew up. Just like to me,、uh, watching most stuff, watching M, watching everybody, I knew that there was a progression to it. You know, a process to it. Whereas to them. They don't think there should be a process to it, you know. To them, it's like I should just be famous, and if I don't get famous, then this is clearly not for me. That's interesting.、Um, it's so crazy that like rap in China is just so tied to the show, rap of China.、Um, but but it, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, there's really not a lot of infrastructure. To support rap in most cities in China. I mean, I think about even here in Shanghai. Like, I you know, you just don't really hear about a lot of like rap showcases or like rap battles or anything, which would, which is just so wild. Yeah, exactly, and that actually is why Bohan has sort of this advantage. He has roots back in the states, which both gives him an edge in terms of perceived authenticity. Um, but also because his career isn't actually tied to the show, you know, he has this other place that he can build himself up in. First of all, I'm just fucking blessed that my life turned out the way it did. That I happened to have landed in America and landed in New York, and、um, that I was able to kind of experience the both sides and kind of pick and choose what it is that I want from it. How does Bohan feel about like the commercialism in rap in China. Like, is there a certain inauthenticity to rap because it's so tied up to this show in such a way? 
Well, look, I think he understands the commercialism. He's certainly not going to begrudge anyone who's trying to make money and have a career and be successful.、Um, but in terms of how it's influenced rap, I think he he feels that's definitely taken away from the the authenticity and the quality of the music. Once, like the basic. I guess, like minimum of being, you know, being able to eat and being comfortable and and making it to some level. Do you think that there'll be any kind of like secondary or like a second wave of motivation? Like, okay, now I want to be recognized as a rapper, you know, by people, by like where rap comes from. I know so many artists who already who who already is that who have always been that who started off as that, you know, like,、um, and then went the other way, you know, went the other way, saying like, oh, well. I guess nobody really cares about respect or virtues or whatever. Like, I, why am I not making this money? You know, like,、um, and yeah, like either way, they're right. You know, whatever. I realize, I realize, it is very easy in the arts world and especially the music world to like take like a high and mighty like a route. It's it's one thing to believe in what you believe in, and then it's another thing to kind of like. And this is speaking from someone that did exactly this. You know, it's another thing to like look down upon something and being like, "Nah, this is not as good as what what I got going on." You know, it's just different. It's just so different.、Um, every rapper that I know in China is pretty much trying to go the commercial route. Even the ones that I that started off as real like, you know, like virtuous. You know, if you want to use that word, right? Like,、mm-hmm. or like. Not selling out, or like、yeah. just like underground. All of them, every one of them, went on the show or went to audition for it. You know,、wow. so man, it's, it's, it just comes down to it just comes down to like you, you seeing everyone else around you getting that check or supposedly getting that check and getting fences on Weibo. You're like, fuck it,、yeah. man. Like, I, let me go do the same thing. You know, like, and that's that's kind of what's been happening. So he may not begrudge rappers getting theirs, but he sees that there's a cost to that. Something that doesn't exist in China as much as outside China and the states is、um, the power of the music itself. Like just believing in、um, something else about the music besides that it can bring you fame and, and riches, and you know that's the power of the music. And I, I feel like that's like a very foreign concept to a lot of. Uh, nowadays,、uh, hip hop fans in China, you know, to them, it's about idol culture. To them, it's about chasing stars and being a part of something that's like, new and exciting. You know, like there's there's Johnny J, right? He's like a rapper,、mm-hmm. like that was. I mean, he was very much different in the sense that his songs were more storytelling and more narrative, and he didn't yeah, blow up as、yeah. big. People didn't care. People wanted guy. People wanted Baba. They wanted that. I get money. Look, because China loves getting money. China loves getting money. China loves making money. Loves commodity, and that's one of the reasons why China runs the world. And that's just facts, you know. And so, why would China do any differently with hip hop? Ask you, Alec. Why did you want to make this episode? Why did you want to? Why did you want to cover ch- Chinese hip hop? All right. So I guess there were kind of two reasons behind this. The first is I just like rap. I like hip hop. 
You know, it's something that, like you, I grew up listening to. And even if a lot of it is not personally identical or relatable, it's just something that I enjoy. Now, the second thing is a little more connected to my personal experience. And maybe you can actually relate to this too in China. You know, being here for such a long time, you see a lot of things that are brought over, that are taken and introduced from other cultures, from other countries. And this is something that I, I think probably because I already had an interest in hip hop, this was just something that jumped out to me and that I wanted to explore. Diving into hip hop with you has shown me that I'm like weirdly very protective over rap as an art form, like as an American art form. I feel like anybody who lives abroad probably has this feeling from time to time where they like see another culture that's doing their country's art form in a way that just feels like not quite right. And you get a little like defensive or protective over it. I remember uh, like what, back in 2017, 2018, when I first saw Rap of China and I had this very visceral feeling of like, they aren't doing hip hop right. Rap is the music of like the have nots, not the fuar die, you know? But I, I, but honestly, like that's not how I feel anymore um, for a couple of reasons. Um, it's like what Bohan said. You can't deny it if people feel something in the music and they just feel it. Who am I to police? Who am I to gatekeep? Like there was a point in my life when I was a 15-year-old white boy from Connecticut and I was listening to like the radical socialist black liberation hip-hop group Dead Prez. And I remember I loved that shit even though I didn't understand anything about what they were talking about. I had no context for it at all, but it spoke to me, right? I mean, look, Clay, if it makes you feel any better, I think a lot of the reason that you're feeling this is because we've been focusing on rap as this commodity on a TV show and on shows like it, ones that, well, they, they kind of strip rap of any substance or quality. But I do think that there's more to it. Personally, for me, I'm actually kind of hopeful about this whole situation. I think we're in the middle of this big course correction that's going to mean the people left making rap are those that are doing it for the sake of it, because it's meaningful to them and they enjoy it. Maybe we're just sort of seeing that in China, rap flew too close to the sun and it can't do that again. But I don't think that rap can't exist in this country. Maybe that just means that whatever is left is more meaningful, you know? Uh, I don't want to use the word authentic. That term feels kind of fraught. But I do think that rap being made in Chinese, in China, by Chinese people, can do for them what it has done for many in the U.S. You know, whether we're talking about people like Bohan and the Higher Brothers, who find meaning in making it, or people like Rita, 22K, you and me, who find meaning in listening to it. I appreciate that. I really appreciate that perspective. And you know, it's funny. Um, a few a few weeks back, I, I actually went to a hip hop club, and the DJ was playing some Chinese rap, um, but he was also playing a ton of American hip hop. And I just could not believe the number of kids rapping along every single word. And I, in, in, in that moment, like being surrounded by all these like super young people, like I couldn't help but feel like the music must be speaking to these kids on the same level that got to me, you know? 
but you know like maybe that's why they banned hip-hop in china like you know the censors recognize the universal appeal of this subversive art form Hey, Alec here with kind of a postscript. Um, so as of the beginning of December, I'm actually back here in New York. I'm not in Beijing any longer and probably won't be back in China for at least the foreseeable future. But since I've come back, there have been some interesting developments with hip hop in China. Well, first of all, for better or worse, maybe better considering the note we ended our show on, uh, the most recent season of Rap of China kind of just fizzled out it was pretty boring everyone was being super careful with what they were saying in their lyrics and it all amounted to kind of the same manufactured feeling of every other scene competition out there however uh, there was some controversy surrounding that show rap for youth but not the controversy that we've seen before um, so instead of officials being up in arms about what rappers are saying or how they're behaving Rappers themselves have stepped up and embraced rap as this medium to express themselves and the problems that they were seeing around them in society. One of the contestants, Sheng Dai, had part of his lyrics cut out in the broadcast of the finale. It was later discovered because a teammate of his, Chen Jinan, posted this kind of coded message online revealing that the National Radio and Television Administration hadn't approved the lyrics and so they hadn't been aired. People freaked. Um, these were lyrics that criticized sexual harassment and victim shaming, among other things. I personally think that this is huge for many reasons. It shows, at least at some level, that Chinese rappers haven't lost sight of what they can do with the art form and the platform. The show had actually been celebrated and watched for some of its more kind of envelope-pushing lyrics, um, and that people appreciate all of this and are hungry for these topics to be spoken about. So yeah, I mean, maybe this indicates a trend of people actually using rap to talk about the problems they see around them and actually address things that are important to them, whether that's in society or, or their daily lives. And you know, maybe this is the nail in the coffin for rap in China as we know it. And if this really ends up being rap's, pardon the expression, swan song in China, you know, there are worse things to be known as than an art form that championed freedom of expression and equal rights. You've been listening to Strangers in China. This episode was researched and produced by Alec. I have so much love for Alec and all of his hard work. It was such a pleasure to work with him on this piece. I edited it. I edited it. I did the editing. Jason and Ali did my tech work. Strangers in China is part of the Seneca Network, powered by Sup China. For notes and research about this episode, go to supchina.com forward slash strangers in China. Follow us on Facebook at Strangers in China. Follow us on Twitter at 
Stranger in China. Our theme song is Analytical Skeletons by Caesus. Other songs in this episode were by Andre from Page Fire, Beast Inside Beats, Black Lion, Naughty Von Dutch, Dream, XXIUK. I don't know how to say that. Caesus, Azkurs, Omni Beats, Lofi, MCV, and Cavalli. <laughs>